Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is Ms. Nomsa Mochesi from the Democratic Alliance Party, who serves as a member of parliament. She sits on the Portfolio Committee of Higher Education, Science and Technology, and joins us in our series covering perspectives from women across different political parties in the country. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Amelia. Uh, Thank you for having me. Ms. Marchesi, over the course of the series, we have spoken to female parliament members from the DA, EFF, FFP, ATM, and IFP, who've shared their views as women serving in parliament. Previously, you've served on the Portfolio Committee for Basic Education, and now you're serving on the Higher Education, Science, and Technology Portfolio Committee. Please tell us about this portfolio in respect of some of your tasks and specific targets that you want to achieve in this term. As you said, you know, I was on basic education uh, previously, whereby I was uh, responsible as a shadow minister of basic education uh, for the Democratic Alliance. That has been a foundation for me to be able to have a better understanding of how to drive, you know, policies and also how to have issues that specifically uh, have an impact uh, on the ground. Now that I'm on higher education, I have been allocated to uh, be responsible for uh, TVET institutions. What I intend to do and what I've observed, you know, the one thing that I've realized is the fact that the curriculum that uh, the TVET colleges currently have does not really translate to what uh, the intention are from the department to ensure that our adult, young adults end up in jobs and they're able to be of any uh, influence or take part in the economy of the country. So my aim uh, is basically to maybe look at that and influence uh, the curriculum because at the end of the day, what we need to see is um, you know, uh, graduates from the TVET colleges being able to access uh, the job market, to be able to influence uh, our economy, to be able to have startup um, businesses, and also to be able to create jobs, uh, which is not what is happening currently in South Africa. So that is uh, something that I intend to do. And I think it would be good also to look at models from different countries, like for instance, uh, uh, in Germany, what they have is programs whereby students who, who decide to go to different colleges, they go even way before they get to matric, like around about grade eight, then they move to uh, to TVET colleges, uh, whereby they're exposed to technical work, uh, so that uh, you know not only do they not learn uh, academic, but also they are exposed to the day-to-day of how the businesses or whatever business or whatever area that they would like to enter into, that they understand it. Uh, so I think that's something that as South Africans we have to look at. TVET is such an important aspect and any form of, let's say, higher education post your your basic education is essential in terms of being able to become economically productive citizens of the country. 
It, it is. Um, the one thing that we have been blessed with uh, as, as a country is like we're a young nation and uh, we need to be able to tap into that. It's not only, you know, what uh, you know, our current government is focusing on, which is our natural resources. We need to, to be able to identify um, those who have a mind, like a very technical mind, and can be able to, um, to assist you know, uh, and, and come up with innovative ways of, uh, of, of being part of the technology that we are seeing around us. We cannot just be buyers of, uh, of technology. We need to have a, a role that we can play in being uh, participants of, um, of creation that is out there and innovation. And I think, you know, when I look at somebody like uh, Elon Musk, um, I, I, I say sometimes like, you know, it's good that he left South Africa because I don't think he would be where he is now. But at the same time, it shows that, you know, that uh, our capability as South Africans, that we can, if we're given opportunity, we can be able to achieve a lot. And at the moment, I think we're suffocating our young, young, young people. We're not providing them, we're not giving them opportunities that uh, they could actually be able to be part of uh, new ways of doing things and, and, and be part takers into a, an economy that is driven by technology. Without technology, we wouldn't have been able to do what we're able to do for us to be sitting now and having this conversation. Sure. And a few points there. I mean, one perfect case in point in terms of us having this dialogue made possible because of technology. And secondly, I was reading a newspaper article, in fact, at the end of last week, which indicated that only 6% of the South African population has a university degree. So in that, if we think of the extent of our population, the 94% of our people do not possess a university degree and qualification. Having a TVET diploma, this is one leg up the rung. It doesn't stop you in the future from pursuing a, another degree or qualification down the line, but it gives you a leg up into something which is practical, which is artisan, which gets you on the ground running and either into your own practice as a, an entrepreneur and business person or joining a, another firm that specializes in your focal area. Ms. Marchesi, you've been a member of parliament for several years now. Please, can you share some of the responsibilities that come with being an MP? You know, being an MP, it's, uh, it's actually very interesting because uh, not only you drive um, legislation in parliament, but uh, you have a perspective, of, uh, you know, from the ground, of what's happening on the ground. And at the same time, you have the ability and the power to be able to uh, motivate and um, influence uh, policies that can be realized by an ordinary person on the ground. So being a member of parliament, it's something that uh, it shouldn't be taken for granted. You have the ability to, to change um, the course of our country to, to the better. And, um, and how do you translate that to policies? And also not only to policies, but to be able to implement 
what can actually be realized on the ground. Uh, so what, what I do um, basically is that, as, as, as you might know, on Mondays is usually uh, our constituency day whereby we have to interact with, with the voters, see what the issues are, and those is what you bring to Parliament. When you go back to Parliament, you know, you, 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 have, you do your motions, uh, you, you participate in debates, but what is most crucial is being in a committee and being able to... To, to, to voice the concerns of, of your citizens. Uh, in committees, you have also an opportunity to speak directly to the minister. So we have that, we have the privilege of that, and, uh, and you forge also relations with, um, with the different stakeholders. It's not, it's not a, a very easy thing because the opportunity that I had, for instance, in basic education, I was able to influence the work that uh, our teachers do because my concern was that uh, initially was the fact that, you know, during uh, protests, the schooling basically stops abruptly. Let's just say, for instance, if the teachers decide to go and protest, that's what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that the teachers have a right to be able to protest, at the same time, you know, that, you know, there is some kind of guidance. And I was able to do that, but only in hostels. So those are kind of things that we do as as member of parliament. And... Uh, they basically translate to us having a better life, uh, having uh, opportunities out there, and also, you know, uh, protecting your, your citizens as much as you can as, as a member of parliament. That was fantastic context with great illustrations of the work that you're doing and how you're able to affect change, which I think was be one of the most rewarding options being within the structures that you participate in is that you are driving meaningful change and making an impact in people's lives. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Turning towards the Democratic Alliance as a party itself, what is the party's policy regarding representation of women in its structures? The Democratic Alliance uh, believes that uh, there has to be representation across the board. Uh, we have to have uh, gender representation, we have to have geographic uh, representation, we have to have cultural representation, and also we have to look at, um, you know, the, the, the different ages as well, because also we believe in uh, the ability of youth. Uh, so those are things that we always have to be uh, cognizant of, you know, when we make decisions of who are going to be our representatives in all these different uh, spheres. No list uh, within the Democratic Alliance goes through without those um, uh, different aspects being uh, ticked and marked before it can actually be, uh, the list can be approved. We have a good representation there. So there is conscious criteria in place. Now tell us about your journey into politics. I don't personally have uh, a political background, but um, uh, politics influenced you. It will, will influence you. I mean, they, they influenced me when I was um, at school. It was in the 80s when everyone was protesting. And uh, whether you're part of it or not part of it, it's just you eventually will be drawn into it. 
So uh, it was just after the 1976 uh, protests and uh, basically the, the, the fabric of uh, our school system was basically falling apart because of uh, you know, the struggle that uh, we, we were experiencing. And, and also the awareness. I think, I think mostly the 1980s, um, uh, children were very much aware of the fact that you know, uh, the, the, the education that, that they were being offered, that um, it would not really be opening doors for them. And that's when, you know, you, we saw the escalation of protests throughout the 80s. As a matter of fact, um, I had to leave my school uh, in uh, 1986 to go to, um, to Wedella High School, which is in Carltonville, which was seen as more of a uh, conforming kind of young people who were not uh, part of uh, strikes. Because I grew up in Vlamasang and Bluefontein, um, and literally every day we had protests. We had protests continuously. And uh, there was no way that you could actually have uh, an opportunity to, to say, you know, there's a normal day at school. So that was a concern to my parents because um, my grandmother believed that uh, I cannot sit on the table and, and be able to, to debate um, my struggles without education. So she had a different mindset as compared to the mindset that was in my school, that was prevalent in my school, where it was like, no, if we don't have freedom, there's not going to be any education that is um, going to take place in our school. So that, that was basically the, the struggle that we had as, uh, as the children of uh, those years. And that gives you first-hand insight in terms of what it takes of school disruption um, in, in, with regards to your own education. And I'm sure that must have influenced your choices and decisioning within the basic education sector to try to ensure that kids have continuity in school. Yes, um, it was. I mean, like, for instance, now with, uh, with the COVID pandemic that, uh, that we are seeing now, is the, it was a very difficult decision because at that time I was, I was um, in 2020, I was still the, the shadow minister of, um, of basic education. So the, the decision for the children to go back to school was the most difficult uh, decision that um, I, I had to agree with um, because... It was basically, you know, deciding of what is important and also how do we continue. And given the fact that South Africa is not like, uh, you know, the first world countries that uh, have the type of technology whereby children can stay at home and be educated from their, their, their homes and in their own comfort and away from the virus itself. So in order to, to be able to have that kind of continuity, we have to make a decision to say, uh, let's make sure that our schools are safe. Uh, let's make sure that, you know, we follow the protocols of uh, the COVID-19 protocols. That was uh, the most difficult uh, decision that we had to make. And I think everybody was terrified. We were all terrified, you know, but um, that was something that we needed to, 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 to do as a country. Uh, unfortunately. Education seems to have played a, a critical role in your life and you eventually went on to hold a BSc in microbiology and biochemistry. Please tell us what led to that aspect of your journey as well and how 
moving from, let's say, a period of, of intense disruption, you went on to fulfill your, your academic accomplishments? Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Amelia, as I was, I was telling you earlier as, that um, I had a, a choice to basically choose the subjects when I was in grade eight, I decided to, that, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing uh, biblical studies and, um, and geography because most of my, my peers and my friends, everybody was like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do biblical studies oh, because all you have to do, you have to read and um, uh, uh, write what you've read and that's it. You don't have to really <laughs> think about it. <laughs> taking the easy way out. <laughs> basically that's what it was it was taking the easy way out and I came home and I said yeah that's what I'm gonna be doing and uh, my aunt because I was thinking you know I need to get good grades I need to you know to have when I finish my matric I have to have good grades and my aunt was like there is no way uh, going forward no one in this house is gonna be doing biblical studies and geography you are gonna do mathematics and science and, and, you know, physical science, those are going to be your subjects. And I was like, but they're so difficult. Um, you know, I haven't been doing that well. You know, really, I've been uh, an average student when it comes to mathematics at that time. And she said, no, I'm taking you to a school whereby you are going to do physical science. And I, at that time, I was already at, um, at, uh, at grade 12. But she kept me on uh, doing maths until grade 11. So in grade 12, she basically moved me because of also the disruptions within, within the, the, the schools, the school that I was, uh, I was attending at the time. Then she took me to, to the school that I spoke about in Medela. And when I got there, she was like, she's going to be doing physical science. And everybody was like, how can she do physical science at grade 12? She's going to find it to be so difficult. And then I, I eventually I, they accepted me to do physical science and mathematics. It was difficult. Um, but that is something that, you know, she decided that I should do and I had to do what she said I must do because for her, she had it all planned out to say, if you have physical science, you might struggle to pass it, but eventually you will make it. If you make it, then the doors are going to open for you. And um, that's exactly what happened. I did a BSc, whereby, you know, uh, my main subject was macrobiology and biochemistry. And when I finished, uh, on the last year when I finished then, um, I, I basically um, I got married and my husband got a job in, uh, in Ireland. And uh, I was able to get a job in a pharmaceutical company. Um, to think, coming to think of it, like, you know, um, it was just as easy as that, just purely because I decided to do mathematics and science. And I went on to university to do, uh, to, to study BSc, which are science um, subjects. Then eventually, like uh, out of that, then doors started to open for me. Uh, I even came back to do uh, pharmacology, to study pharmacology because of my exposure in the pharmaceutical uh, industry. So I have to say that um, education for me has been the stepping stone for me to achieve, you know, what I have achieved. Um, not uh, and, and the fact that I'm, I ended up in, 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 uh, in politics, uh, it's not because I studied uh, political science, 
but it's because like, you know, Democratic Alliance identified and, um, and understood that, you know, I, I have something to, to share and to contribute as well within the, the political sphere. So it's, uh, it's one of those things. And um, I think it's one thing that we have to, uh, to, to take seriously as, as South Africans to say that, you know, sometimes you have to go through the hard way to be able to achieve, you know, you have to to put yourself out there and try the most difficult. Um, but as long as you know what is your goal and what you need to achieve, and also it uh, it, it it saddens me uh, to to see that, you know, during the pandemic that South Africa was not talking about, you know, producing or or, or even doing research in uh, in uh, in vaccines. We are not. Um, taking the space uh, of uh, development in science. And purely that is, I think, is because of, you know, the decisions that we make as young people, that we want the easy way out, that we don't want to be challenged. And I think that also translates to what uh, our current government is also about, to say, you know, um, we are just going to be consumers. We are not going to be putting money into research and and innovation, and we need to, 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 to occupy that space. We have the ability to do so much just as human beings because we are able to, to think, you know, we, we are able to work hard, and uh, those are things that we, we are not tapping into. And also, just as I said, that, you know, we are a very youthful uh, nation, and, and I think we're not taking advantage of that. And uh, within the pharmaceutical industry, I believe that, you know, we can have a lot if we were to really look at it as a, an avenue for us to create jobs. Or maybe the mindset that, you know, as Africans, we are unable to do these things. We cannot be part of science. Why? Um, I think we are all the same as human beings. We are able to, to achieve and, and, and do, if we're given opportunities, we can achieve so much. And it's it really like as I say that it really saddens me that you know we are not taking advantage of um, our current situation and we are not really partakers because if we were able to to be part of producing a vaccine as as a country we would have been able to to produce for Africa at this point we wouldn't be only having four hundred thousand people vaccinated. I think your story for me highlights a number of very interesting points. One very, very key takeout though is the fact of having the correct influence when you are younger, when you're at that critical point of decision-making regarding the subjects that are gonna shape and frame your future. That, that is so essential because hearing all of your achievements and accomplishments today, where would you have been if you had gone with geography and biblical studies? Certainly not pursuing a career in pharmacology. Probably unlikely to be having your second career as a politician. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, and democracy. 
What I wanted to ask you, given your experiences and your intense interest within the education space, is that how do you see education as an instrument of empowerment for women? Your uh, sure, education is um, is very very important. Um, not only is important for us to be able to achieve, you know, the different subjects. Um, I might actually move away from your question, but I think that's something that I would like to to bring um, uh, forward is the fact that schools have the ability to to shape and mold us to be better citizens. And I think that's something that we we haven't really uh, looked into. You know, how how are you able to to uh, not only to be an achiever within a classroom, what are you bringing to the society? What kind of a, a citizen are you going to be when you grow up? I mean, even yourself, Dr. Amalia, uh, when you say that, you know, you started this, um, this uh, talk show about women, it's because you are able to identify the problems within the system itself. But now, how many of us are able to do that? You know, when I was in, uh, in uh, the, you know, being a member of parliament, you also traveled because you need to see what other countries, you know, you know, develop themselves and also, you know, their education system, because that was always my, my, my interest. One thing that caught my attention was the fact that, you know, in Taiwan, they have a subject of, about being a citizen. What kind of citizens they want you to be? So that subject, it is given from early on when you start school from grade R up to uh, grade 12. So uh, initially is understanding who you are. That's what they teach you, who the human being that you are and how to understand your space and how to protect your space. And then it goes on to say, you know, who are you within your own household and what is your responsibility in your household? And who are you within the community? What kind of citizens you are? How do you spend your time doing things for other people, not for you, but for other people? You need to be able to think of other people at the same time. You need to, to think, you know, how can I contribute to an NGO? How can I, uh, um, you know, allocate my time for, you know, to ensure that, like, you know, another person has a better life and those kind of things. And uh, that is something that we are lacking as South Africans. We don't have that kind of um, responsibility as a citizen. All that we are thinking of when you get into a class is can you learn uh, one plus one? How fast can you do that? And can you pass at the end of the, of, of, of the year? And how well do you do in grade 12? Those are our priorities, finished and done with grade 12, and that's it. And uh, what happens to them uh, is basically up to them. And I think it, our education system has to go much deeper than that. We need to be proud of the citizens that we are. We cannot have a situation whereby um, you go into a, a township and everything is literally falling apart. Uh, there's no respect for uh, the environment, you know, there's no respect for, you know, making sure that, um, you know, the garbage, it is put in, 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 a, in a trash bin. Or even, you know, not only that, uh, at the same time, it's also, if you become an official within uh, our government official, taking your responsibility seriously and understanding that, um, you know, the garbage has to be picked up. 
You know, because like, you know, in Bluefontein, for instance, when you go around, you see garbage everywhere. Uh, it's not only the garbage, but it's just a lot of things like, you know, how do we build and mold our citizens, our young people to be better citizens? Because at the end of the day, you can have a government that is um, the kind of government that you have that is corrupt, um, you know, that only looks after themselves. But if we were better citizens, we would first of all be able to say, we need to change our government and get a better government. And if we don't like the one that we get, we get rid of that as well. That's one thing, a responsibility as, as citizens, uh, knowing how the importance of voting and knowing the importance of removing a government that is not working for you. And also knowing what is your role as a citizen? What are you supposed to do? Because we cannot always be looking at government to say the government has to do one, two, three. At the same time, you are not you know, pulling your socks on your side. You need to be just as responsible. But I think it's not, I cannot entirely blame it on, on us as South Africans. I think our, our education system fails us in that front. Who do we want to be? Are we building um, a society that's just concerned about, you know, uh, consuming, or a society that is just concerned about being, um, being the best um, in terms of performance, but not really also trying to nourish, nourish us as a country so that we are not only uh, about you know, uh, achievement, but also making sure that the person next to you, you know, your community, your, your brothers and sisters, also they are uplifted. If I'm responsible for my neighbor my, and making sure that my neighbor achieves, then my neighbor is not going to come into my house and drop what, the little that I have. I don't have to build high walls to protect myself from my neighbor. If I am conscious of what is needed within a society and community, then we all have a better life and also a better chance to be able to, to achieve and to be successful. Yes, education is so much more than just about subject matter, but it's about nurturing good, positive citizenship so that you have individuals that grow up accepting responsibility for themselves, almost demanding it from others so that we have a productive, cohesive society. Ms. Machesi, we're nearing towards the end of the show now. And one of the questions that I'd like to ask you is about your personal journey and factors for success. Many of our guests who've reached tremendous achievements throughout their lifetime speak about discipline, focus, faith, and values. In your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Um, I think my, my, my key driver is, you know, uh, who do I associate myself to and who do I allow uh, to influence uh, my journey and who, basically who do I surround myself with and also, you know, the sense of family. I think uh, for me, um, those are the critical um, uh, you know, building blocks that have helped me to be who I am. And also, obviously, um, my faith. You know, as Africans, we all like very much, um, you know, rely on, uh, on our faith. And I think that is something that uh, is, is built into our system. It is in our DNA. 
being also a woman, and I mean, I, I, my, 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 my grandmother, if I may to say that, my grandmother was, um, she grew up in a family of 12 women. Um, she saw herself as the head of the house, despite the fact that her parents would have liked to have their firstborn as, um, as a male. She basically took that role. And um, so she basically influenced, and she's the one that showed us, that showed everyone in our family that a woman can literally do anything. There's nothing that prevents you from doing anything. I mean, I think outside of the box in everything that I do. And, uh, and I think that is because of uh, the people that have been around me, including her, as I said, you know, my aunt as well. In my family, everybody like, you know, had some kind of qualifications, even way then in the, in the 60s, you know, um, we had nurses, we have teachers in, in, in my household. And uh, I think it's, uh, it's, it's having the right people within your, your, your space and also understanding who you are uh, as a person and also, you know, um, having the goals, you know, because you, in life you need to have uh, goals and, and you always have to try to achieve those goals. And I think that's, that's, that, that, that was one of the drivers because um, when you have a, a clear understanding of where you want to see yourself and what you want to achieve and not be influenced by negativity around you, then you can achieve a lot. And I think that's, that's basically what influenced um, where I am and that's what continues to influence me. I, I, today, um, I, I think I, I influence my son quite um, positively as well. Um, I, I make him do things that he never thought that he would do. Um, you know, he's studying medicine at the moment and uh, he's... Uh, he never thought that you'd be able to do that. But like, it's all, it all starts with believing yourself and also having people that believe in you. You know, somebody was saying that, you know, you have to surround yourself with people. When they see you, their eyes should shine to see you. It's people that are just happy to see you. Those are people that think, um, they think of you as somebody that has a lot to achieve. Even if you don't think uh, like that uh, of yourself, but you know you have to have people that believe in you and uh, trust that you know you have a lot to achieve. And I think everybody has that. We all have that ability. All you need is an opportunity. Uh, what I can say is that, like you know, we always have to try to to have the networks of people that you can find that can help you. So those are what actually has helped me throughout the years to be able to be where I am today. That's a great recipe, surrounding yourself with people who want the best from you, people who are going to influence and, and push you, not necessarily give you the easy way out. Form a strong family foundation, faith, and targeting goals to knock them out the park and keep rising up the rungs of the ladder that you've chosen. Finally, as we close out our conversation and in honor of Youth Day, which is celebrated on the 16th of June, please will you share a few words of inspiration that you'd like to pass on to girls and young women in the continent that are listening to us? Uh, what I can say, you know, to young girls, uh, especially in this continent, um, there's no better... Uh, gender that I admire 
like uh, the African women in this continent. I think there's something that we always seem to miss about African women is the fact that, you know, we can be able to, 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 to rise um, and also to break the ceiling. As soon as you think of yourself as small, then you will not be able to achieve anything. And I think we have the ability to achieve so much. We need to look at our different, uh, different legislations across the continent and also compare. I think South Africa has one of the best constitution and also we've got one of the best legislations when it comes to women. And yet we are unable to implement and, and see the results from those legislations. So that is our hurdle as South Africans. We need to, to really interrogate those legislations and, uh, and those different policies that are there. They cannot be just be on paper. They need to be realized, they need to be implemented. So I, I would challenge um, uh, South African women and also across uh, the, the continent to say, you need to speak up. You need to look at uh, the different policies. And I think young people must fight. You must take your space and uh, have more, um, uh, you know, you have more influence if you are there and speaking out. So to the young people, I want to say, rise up, occupy the space and make that change. Thanks for that message, which is, for me, one which is about really utilizing the legislation and the policies that have already been established. They exist. There's no need to go and establish new policies. Make use of what you have currently. Also look to other markets to see what they have and try to enforce those for implementation. They were created for a purpose, and that purpose is to make lives better and open opportunities and doors of possibilities for women. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Member of Parliament, Ms. Nomsa Marchesi from the Democratic Alliance Party, who also sits on the Portfolio Committee for Higher Education, Science and Technology.